0: This ends at prom is a critical analysis show and is being produced in solidarity with the WGA and sag After strikes. The podcast you're about to hear was produced during the strikes, and without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the movie being reviewed here wouldn't exist. For more information, feel free to visit the Freelance Solidarity Project at FreelanceSolidarity.org.
2: merch girl i want to be your goddamn idol and i don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking all but i
0: prom party, they can't all be fun in games.
1: Dude. <laughs> like, this, we have had a lot of people over the years request we do 13,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: all I knew about it was like, oh, this movie's kind of heavy. Uh-huh. This is the biggest bummer we've ever done on this podcast.
0: Yeah. Because
1: even like other like heavy subject movies, I was like, oh, you know, it's a little dark, whatever. It's like, they're funny, or like they're stylish, or something, it's like. No, shaky cam, voyeuristic, depressing teen debauchery. (laughs) That's
0: 13, baby.
1: (laughs) Yes, evidently.
0: (laughs) Sundance Award winning 13, baby. That is Catherine Hardwick.
1: Fucking uh, Academy Award nominated 13. Yeah. Good job, Holly Hunter. We love Holly Hunter. Good to see you back on the podcast. It's been a bit.
0: It has been a bit. If y'all have not listened to our episode on Ms. Firecracker, uh, you're missing out. It's one of our least listened to episodes, but Holly Hunter is great, damn it. <laughs> she is,
1: and just always with those Holly Hunter arms that look like she would be a woman who would lift a car to save her baby. Absolutely. Oh my God, she's incredible.
0: <laughs> so obviously we're having a little bit of fun right now because I think you and I both know that there's just a an impending doom heading towards us when we start to unpack this movie. Well, so we're getting the giggles out because... At least I can say, I'm uncomfortable. I mean,
1: that's kind of how a lot of people process a lot of things, but it's kind of like, man, I treat this show like a comedy with feelings. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really hard to straddle that line <laughs> like I normally do for this episode. So I guess we should just rock it. Yeah.
0: And this is, I guess, a content warning. We're going to talk about a lot of really heavy shit here. Just everything. Both in the context of the movie, probably our own lives. So just, you know, keep that in mind keep yourself safe protect your uh, your heart and your mind cuz this movie is a lot mm-hmm. so what what was your
1: knowledge of 13 before we sat down or was it just oh this is heavy that's pretty much all i've gathered is i'm aware that this movie is heavy okay i know nothing about it interesting
0: that explains a lot
1: of your reactions as we watched this movie <laughs> god it's like it's like a harmony Corinne made a lifetime movie that, honestly, that is uh, that <laughs>
0: Harmony Crin making a lifetime movie complimentary. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, yes, like that's what it feels like
0: though. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it definitely does.
1: Uh, yeah, what's what's your history with this shit? Because evidently, <laughs> you watched this at like thirteen, huh? Yeah.
0: So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna paint a picture for all of you. We've talked on the show before about how I got my like quote unquote a bad kid isms out very young, and that I was a wild child in my my younger years,
1: and only you actually managed to keep your grades up.
0: This is true, unlike Tracy. This is very true. Um, so freshman year, like right after eighth grade, so at this point I have not turned fourteen yet. I. Yeah, I'm still 13. No, I would have turned 14. Okay, I'm 14. Freshly happens. 14. Freshly 14. Um, and two of my friends and I had to do a group project. Uh, it was like a castle project where you, you build a castle. I don't know. And we got it in our heads like we're gonna make ours out of food. I think I've told the story before about how I ate a whole pack of sour starburst and like puked, and it came out like a perfect rainbow because it's. Not real foods, my I mean, body didn't You told it.
1: me that story. I don't know if it's been on the podcast or not, but if not, then there it is. If
0: not, this is this is that weekend of eating too much sugar, being left alone with two other 14 year old girls for a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to our friend's house to build the 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 castle. Um, she had a single mom, and this is by no means like disparaging single moms. I love a single mom. But to give you an idea of the kind of home this was, my friend and her mom, uh, they had an entire room dedicated just for a tanning bed, but they were not wealthy. So this is like a three, th- th- a very modest, like three bedroom house. Mm-hmm. One of them was for a tanning bed. Um, and my friend's bedroom decor was Playboy bunny themed.
1: This has a lot of above ground pool energy.
0: It, yes. Um so there there was like a, a, a passing that had happened previously, so they did have like a decent amount of money when they bought the house, uh. but they did not come from money. Uh, Mom was working constantly. Mom had a lot of boyfriends. Mom was... A, she was a hot mom, too. Like...
1: I mean... That is... That, that was a big thing in the 2000s, is a hot mom.
0: Yeah, she was a hot mom who had like lots of boyfriends, and so my friend was kind of left to her devices all the time. So we spent the whole weekend at her place. There was... No adult supervision at all whatsoever. So we just watched movies and like sort of worked on our castle project and like called boys and went on the internet and did weird debauchery shit and did whippets. Um, <laughs> like just a bunch of nonsense. Um, uh,
1: how this movie opens.
0: Uh-huh. Whippets. And And uh, so we ended up watching 13 because f- said friend was like, we should watch this movie. I think that like this will speak to us.
1: And neither of you had seen it? Uh-uh. Okay,
0: and then we watched it, and we were like, "Is this how people see us?" Like it very Are much we the problem. It very much had like <laughs> euphoria. Is this fucking play about us? Energy where we were like. Uh oh, because yeah, this movie opens on them doing whippets and punching each other in the face, and like while we did not punch each other, we definitely did whippets that weekend, and we mm-hmm. were like, uh oh, goodness. And there's the line where she's like, "I have this wah wah sound in my head," and all of us were like, "Oh no!" Because that's
1: specifically how you have described the feeling of whippets to me. Wah 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 wah. Yeah, yeah it's that. Because um, I have never done whippets because I uh, just didn't but I did work in an adult store
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we did not sell whippets. We sold uh, whipped cream canisters mm-hmm. and you had to come in and specifically request whipped cream canisters because if you came in going, oh, you got whippets?
0: Right, then it's drugs. Then it's like, oh, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> you are buying this with the intent to use it for drugs, which everybody was, but like legally <laughs> you have right. to ask for the right thing. And um, working there is where I learned that Whippets are not a good high because it's really short and it kills your brain cells. Mm-hmm. And seeing the specific brand of like, like, it's like a blown out tire. That mm-hmm. was how people's brains were, where it's like, that was a tire at one point. But boy, howdy, it's not holding a lot of air these days. Mm-hmm. The people that came in and were like, oh, uh, do you have Whippets. I was like, yeah, there's something to that it kills your brain cells thing, isn't there? Yeah,
0: there very much is. And for the record, 13 is not the movie that taught me how to do whippets. That movie was A Night at the Roxbury. (laughs) Great.
1: All of the important lessons in life learned from A Night at the Roxbury.
0: (laughs) Yeah, goodness. Uh, So yeah, that was my exposure of watching this movie and... I don't want to say that like this movie got me on the right track, like it's like some sort of scared straight situation. It would be
1: very after school special, and this movie is decidedly not an after school special, not
0: at all. Um, though but, it does walk a very fine line. But there was something about this movie that, after seeing it, I definitely did some some introspective thought of, "Ooh, this. Ooh, okay, I should probably chill out a little bit." And I did. Mm-hmm. I got very selective with. My, my rambunctiousness moving doing forward. You were all
1: the drugs. You were just doing some of the drugs. I was just doing some of the drugs. Uh-huh. And also
0: drugs that were not killing my brain cells. Uh-huh. Um, and I was also a little bit more responsible. And I, I honestly, the, the thing that like really kind of blew my mind and I feel I have mixed feelings about this. Um, but I very quickly recognized that my friend whose house we were at, like that was the EV in my life. Mm -hmm. I clocked that immediately. And I was like, I, I should probably distance myself from her.
1: She's a bad girl.
0: And that's the thing that's shitty is like, I don't want to say like, oh, she was the bad girl. She was the bad influence. But I definitely recognize like she's going through a lot and is processing this in ways that are kind of self-destructive. And I hope she gets help, but this is beyond what I can do, and it's not good for me to, like, be
1: surrounded by this. Well, yeah, I mean, have you ever had, like, the term that I've always used for it is a lead friend, where they will drag you the fuck down with them.
0: Yeah, and I want to make it very clear, too, like, her being the quote-unquote bad influence or, like, a destructive presence was not because, like, her mom owned a tanning bed and that she had a Playboy Bunny, like, room. Like, not at all. No,
1: we actually have a were, whole lot of things about context we're going to go into Yeah, there was, this like, time.
0: way worse shit going on in her life, but I am not about to, like, air somebody's dirty laundry that no. I have not talked to in 20 years Course or not. whatever.
1: Like Evie also had a whole bunch of fucking horrible shit go on in her thing. Exactly. That, that's how you get there.
0: Exactly. Right. So if y'all have not seen 13, here is your synopsis. And this synopsis is very funny considering what all goes down. Uh Uh-oh. A 13-year-old girl's relationship with her mother is put to the test as she discovers drugs, sex, and petty crime in the company of her cool but troubled new best friend.
1: This makes it sound quite a bit more fun than it is.
0: That description makes it seem like this is nowhere near as serious as it is, or if it is that serious, that it's presented in kind of like
1: a hokey manner. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like melodrama at worst. Yeah,
0: it sounds like melodrama at worst or very much like an after school special, and it is not. Uh, One of the things that I have always respected about this movie is that this movie never feels like it's being preachy or talking down to people. It feels like it is talking to people, Mm -hmm. which I really, really appreciate. And I think is one of Catherine Hardwick's like strongest suits as a storyteller and as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is also a level of authenticity to this film that cannot be denied because this film was co-written by Nikki Reed who plays Evie. Mm -hmm. And it is based on her experiences as a 13 year old. Um, And she was 14 when they shot this. So this is a movie written by a teenage girl and it's semi-autobiographical, which makes my heart hurt in ways that I can't properly I- explain because like, it's write what you know, right. What you know, but like, as we, we much did Orange as,
1: County on the Patreon, right. What you know, <laughs> right.
0: um, but it's one of those things where it's like, as much as I can also recognize the experiences that I had that were not super different from this one, um, obviously different cause I was not growing up in Los Angeles, which is its own conversation. Um, but it still, like, hurts whenever I have to face the reality that, like, it wasn't specifically, like, a me thing. Like, other people know what this feels like, and that mm-hmm. is such a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this movie was Festival Darling, and then it got a wide release in 2003.
1: It uh, debuted at Sundance in, like, January, came mm-hmm. out in August.
0: Yeah, so this movie is also celebrating a 20-year anniversary which is, of all the movies we've covered where I suddenly am like very hyper aware of time. Of time. I think this might be the one that's hit me the hardest. Specifically because I have such vivid memories of watching this for the first time. Because this is also not a movie that I watched a lot. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the movies we've talked about that I love dearly are movies I've seen 10 million times. You've
1: brought those with you. You left this one I a specific this one. time.
0: Yes. And so coming back to it, some some old wounds got ripped open in ways I was not prepared for, mm-hmm. which is funny because we've we've done Daydream Nation, we've done Assassin Nation Nation, we've done K through twelve,
1: like we've but like, done. There's, there's clever like writing to those. Yeah, this one doesn't feel like it's trying to be clever. It no. is blunt and hard edged.
0: Yeah, and
1: uh, not stylish. There's no deeper meaning. It just kind of is.
0: Y- yeah and like saying like there's no deeper meaning is not like that's not a criticism no it's just this it's movie just th- it, what is what it is what it is what you get yeah there's no
1: moral there's no ending it just kind of is you're going for a ride it's like a drug trip
0: yeah it is a 13 year old drug trip and nothing is wrapped up in a nice bow at the end and i love i love that it does that um but yes this is 2003 um what kind of context do you want to bring to the table to
1: 13? So in terms of discussing what is going on uh cinematically it's it's pretty uh it's pretty light.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's got a lot of fluffy films. This is like post 9/11 when the teen genre goes dormant as a whole mm-hmm. uh, or it becomes different. Uh Disney starts to become one of the predominant teen powerhouses out there. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the year where you'll have both Freaky Friday and the Lizzie McGuire movie.
0: Oh, you know, hard-hitting films.
1: Yes, same with (laughs) From Justin to Kelly.
0: Yeah, and I think Camp is another movie we did from this year. It is,
1: yes. Um, I would say that the closest contemporary you have to what this is cinematically would be Party Monster, which we actually Mm -hmm. did on the Patreon last month. Didn't plan any of this out, just kind of ends up this way. Mm -hmm. But that at least is silly. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of self-destruction but it's campy. Right. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's at least got like some elements of like playfulness because mm-hmm. that's just what the presentation and the characters are. This is not.
0: Mm-hmm. Even the moments in this movie that are presented as playful are still horrific. They're dangerous. Within context. Yeah. Like yeah. if you take them out as like individual scenes, I can definitely see people being like, what is this movie? Oh my God. But when it's in the the context, it's like, this is a
1: nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but outside of, of of cinema, because that's just a small piece of the puzzle that makes this movie make sense, we went we went on a long discussion of the early two thousands. We'll say two thousand one to two thousand four. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll say nine eleven to Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of where we are. <laughs> oh
0: God! But it really is though. No, it really is nine eleven to Mean Girls. Honestly, it's probably like Columbine to Mean Girls. If we wanna. Go back to 99, yeah. because like, that's when the shift happens. This is
1: the really distilled version during the early 2000s. Yeah. Like, this is the purest essence. Yeah. This is the fucking black tar heroine of, <laughs> of this experience. Yeah. So, a lot of things happen, kind of independently of each other,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but all have the same exact fingerprint.
0: Yeah, there's, so, there's some interconnectivity going on, even though it, 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 we are in a perfect storm yes. right now.
1: A lot of these things aren't happening because of each other. They're happening because they're a reflection of where we're at. So like 2001, you get Bratz dolls. Mm-hmm. And Barbie You know, was on a downturn because Barbie was a nice girl. Mm-hmm. Bratz dolls were, like, sexy bad girls mm-hmm. for, for girls. They, like This is your, like, kind of adult doll for a young girl. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a different edge. This is where, like, Britney Spears releases I'm a Slave for You. Mm-hmm. She's not a girl, not yet a woman, but definitely leaning towards... Um, quite a bit more sexually suggestive woman. Mm-hmm. Like, Britney was always sexy, but, like, in a schoolgirl way. Like, mm-hmm. that's how she came out the gate.
0: Yeah, the appeal of early Britney Spears for those who appreciated her for nefarious reasons, the innocence was part of it. Mm-hmm. The idea of possibly corrupting her was part of the appeal. This which version is of Britney super gross. <laughs>
1: is girl corrupted. Yes. And that extends over to, like, Christina Aguilera doing, like, ex-Tina, Mm-hmm. Just assless chaps, like filthy-looking glamour hair, Christina, where she does like dirty she has a with nose red ring man now. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That that's the world we're getting into. Um, a million other examples. Bj brings up uh, in a discussion we had off mic uh, the Real World Las Vegas.
0: Okay, yeah. So the Real World Las Vegas happens in 2002 as well, and this is when the Real World stopped feeling like a social experiment or like a docu-series and it started feeling very much like, oh, we're just going to get these young people as drunk and as humanly possible so they all fuck each other. This is Like, the, that's um, what happens in This that is season. the
1: reality TV that we know of.
0: Yeah, when we start talking about, like, trash reality TV and no shade to Las Vegas lies. Yes, shade to Las Vegas um, <laughs> because the real world changed forever after Las Vegas because the ratings went through the roof because people were like, Oh my God! We're basically watching like, young people behaving porn. badly. Yeah, yeah. people got really, really into it. This is also around the same time where things like Girls Gone Wild are starting to get really
1: popular. Um, debauchery
0: is very much
1: in. And granted, it was in the '90s, but that was like reserved for like daytime TV. Yeah, like that was for like Maury and shit, and it was just sort of it was very much like a, a, a freak show kind of exhibition. Yes, like that's how those people on those shows were portrayed. Mm-hmm. This is more like. No, but you want to be like this. Mm-hmm. You're 13. You want to be sexy. You want to be more adult. Like we show, we've talked on this show numerous times about like teen girls in movies who it's like, God, mom, I'm not going to be your little girl forever. I'm an adult. I'm 15. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, just let me be whatever. And this is not, uh, I don't mean this in a derogatory. I mean it in purely a factual statement. This is not just girls wanting to be older. This is young girls wanting to be sluttier.
0: Yes, and like again, slutty is a neutral term. Uh,
1: that, that's for purely us. a descriptive term. Yes. in this context.
0: Um, because uh, other things that were happening at this time is that social media is starting to pick up. Things mm-hmm. like MySpace are starting to pick up. People they're not seeing, quite there yet.
1: People see uh, MTV Spring Break.
0: Yes, and like, they're
1: bringing Spring Break home year round.
0: Yeah, so this sort of stuff is happening. Um, we are in chat rooms. Like we joke Lying about, about them. your age. Yeah, and we've who you joked are and what about it on like. the show, but before but like in a non joking manner some of my earliest memories of being on the internet was being like 12 in 2002 in chat rooms pretending to be 19 and from Las Vegas <laughs> like
1: it would be Vegas well it's
0: because everybody always said that they were 18 female Cali and that like sounds super fake so i had to like sound realer so i was 19 from Vegas oh wow um like like that was becoming a very common thing but because the internet was having it so we were all kind of sharing the same thing together Mm -hmm. when we start getting towards social media with MySpace. MySpace is very much like the the popping off point and we're not quite in the MySpace area yet. We're not
1: quite to Bad Girls Club yet. Yeah, but we're Things like that are on on the horizon. We're getting
0: there. But with things like MySpace, it's like, okay, well, we're all on the same internet and we're all vying for the same attention and we're all vying for the same attention from specific people, Mm -hmm. which means women are starting to be put pit against each other more than they already are and one of the easiest way to gain power and influence is through sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I want to make it very explicitly clear that I do not think that there is anything wrong with like owning your sexuality, having your autonomy. Like these are all good things. I am a very proud retired slut
1: oh, like yeah. that uh that, that girl out there who's making like a ton of money being uh being the, a NPC the NPC fetish obsessed with her get everyone your was making bag. fun of i was like no make your money
0: yeah get ice cream is good get that money <laughs> ice cream is ice good. cream is so good
1: <laughs> mm, hot dog
0: like obsessed with her get good your, get your fucking bag. she's very
1: talented if men at that. are gonna
0: be stupid enough to give you money because you're just gonna go mm, gang gang take their fucking money yep um so like making it abundantly clear these these things are not necessarily bad things. It's,
1: it's merely a statement, not a criticism. Correct.
0: The problem that does exist, though, is people feeling obligated to participate in these systems or in these behaviors when they are either A, not okay with it morally, like when they don't, this is not a thing that calls to them naturally, or B because they feel obligated to. Like, that is the problem. I have the same conversation every year on Halloween with, like, the quote-unquote, like, slutty Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. The problem is not the existence of slutty Halloween costumes. If you want to be a crayon in a short skirt do it. I don't care. The problem is when those become the only options when you can't go to the costume shore and just get a crayon costume when it has to be a crayon, crayon costume without exposed midriff. Like that then becomes the issue. And that's what we're seeing in the two thousands, especially here is that there's a, a sign of rebellion as well. Uh, this tends to happen in like 20 year cycles. We're in one right now, which is why we talk about like the quote unquote Puritan movement There are puritanical pushes roughly every 20 years. And we were getting one in the late 90s, early 2000s that we were rebelling against in like 2002, 2003, which is then going to lead into like the debaucherous aughts and like the mean girl hate aughts later in the decade where you have like the Jonas Brothers and the Britney Spearses and the Christina Aguilera's of the world all being like, I don't want to be this, like, poppy, squeaky clean Disney star, and no one's going to take me seriously unless I do something extreme. Boom, I'm now doing Lady Marmalade. Like, Mm -hmm. that is a thing that is happening in this decade.
1: Also something worth mentioning, um, and we will get into this more in terms of how this movie handles this topic, is that uh, in the 90s... Rap became the most popular genre outside of, like, Garth Brooks brand country. hmm And so that meant it penetrated the suburbs. And this movie is not in the suburbs. This movie is very clearly in Los Angeles. Yes. But that meant white people were now listening to rap that was not designed for them in the way that MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice was designed for them. Mm-hmm. You have now kids who have grown up as this has evolved. And as other white kids who are like maybe older sisters, older brothers, kids who are grades older than them in high school. And you go, oh, they're so cool. Mm-hmm. And they are now getting a version of it that has been processed through white people. And the the allure of danger, mm-hmm. the allure of sexy that that is started with like maybe video girls in like 1994, mm-hmm. but now come 2003 has come in this other other realm, this other world that has been processed through many generations of high school kids, mm-hmm. and it's not just sixteen year old girls like this. It is skewing younger and younger. Like this is a that's a joke in Mean Girls where uh, Regina George's sister is like flashing her boobs to the Girls Gone Wild commercial on TV.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Things like this are now becoming so normalized and not dangerous that they're exciting with no concept of danger. Yep. No concept of its original origins or what the fuck like anything on the chronic is about. They just go, "Oh, smoke weed every day, awesome," right. and that's it. That's the that is the message you walk away from.
0: Right. They all know uh, the chorus to "Fuck the Police," but they don't know what the first line is of that of that rap.
1: Correct. Um, the, I definitely knew girls like in my high school, even in the two thousands, who are like, huh, "I'm not like other girls. Like, I don't listen to Soldier Boy. I listen to N.W.A." And I'm like, <laughs> "Do you really though?" <laughs>
0: I mean, in, in 2002, this is when we're going to start getting also the rise of, like, Dirty South rap because, like, Hot and Her by Nelly is 2002. So mm-hmm. that's the year before this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a bit of, you know, this, this cultural appropriation from white people where they're like, well, I like this song, therefore I have to emulate X, Y, and Z, even though you're a fucking 12-year-old white kid from the suburbs, why are you dressing like a video girl? Like what is mm-hmm. what are you doing here? Um that's
1: what you can buy at the mall. Well
0: yeah. That's and that's what gets
1: attention. And, and so that's, that's the thing is the thing.
0: It, it it becomes kind of like a chicken egg situation where it's like, was this hypersexualization like Hypersexualization of young girls specifically has been around since the dawn of fucking time. Like, mm-hmm. that is not, this is not a new thing
1: that we're dealing with. No, this is just a new brand of it. It's a
0: new brand of it. It's and it's also, obvious. it's commodified because yeah. now capitalism is like, oh, wait, this is how girls are acting now. They like these Bratz dolls. Well, we better start selling clothes at Limited 2 that kind of resemble the Bratz dolls. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what's happening here. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And I think what ends up happening is that you get a film like 13. And there are some people in this world who look at 13 and they see this movie as like an absurdity because they remember like, oh, the girls who acted like this or the girls that dressed like this from my hometown, you know, they were just whiny. They just they were just being bratty. They were just Mm -hmm. being whatever. And that loses, like you said, like with like hip hop and rap being distilled through like generations and states and moving things and being filtered to something palatable there is something lost when people view a film like 13 as like absurdist or exploitive or over the top and not as an accurate look at the lived experiences of some girls. Oh, because yeah. this is a very accurate look at a lot of girls that I knew growing up. And I, I don't want to say like it offends me when I hear people talk about this movie in that way, but it does kind of fucking offend me. Um, it feels like an extension of our Welcome to the Dollhouse conversation of like, I'm sorry your life isn't sad enough to find this funny, where it's like, I'm sorry that your life was kind enough where you find this funny.
1: Mm. I I agree with that. So um when I said this is a Harmony Corinne lifetime movie, mm-hmm. Harmony Corinne would re- apply um a certain level of darkness that lifetime movies pretend they have. Right. Where those are melodrama. It is the absurdity of them. Well, Lifetime movies are
0: exploitation films that are uh, palatable for Christians.
1: Yes. Like, that's
0: literally what it is. is,
1: That's entertaining because there's something comical about that. It it goes to the next level. Um, We had a discussion whilst watching this where I was like, BJ, I generally classify it as I know it when I see it on what is and is not exploitation. Mm -hmm. Lifetime is exploitation. Mm -hmm. This is not exploitation. Mm -hmm. And... I think it all comes down to the intent. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a, of enjoying a film or laughing at a film. It's like, well, why are you laughing at the film? Mm-hmm. What is the intent behind the amusement of it? Because, like, there are people who absolutely like to, like, they get a, they get a lot of fun out of watching, you know, the absolute bonkers insanity of a Lifetime film. Like, I liked um, that one about the, the the stalker and there was a shark attack. Oh, Stalker's Prey. Yes. Didn't they make, like, three of those? Yes.
0: And they're oh, all yeah. different brands of great. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Like, I enjoyed that, but that movie knows that it's silly. Most of these movies know silly. I mean, silly. all of,
0: like, the David Dakota, the wrong insert name or occupation mm-hmm. Mad Lib here. Like, all of those have a very similar energy where everybody is very aware and is in on what they're doing with exactly. these movies.
1: So, like, there's intent behind those where it's not like, no, we're not trying to, like, tell a serious story. We're not trying to tell a real cautionary tale. We're making a piece of amusement, and if you have a sheltered life, then this will be horrifying to you. Right. This movie is not that.
0: No. No, this movie is very fucking real. So and it I is would un- feel... It is uncomfortably
1: real. Correct. I would feel very weird if someone were to tell me, like, oh no, this is... I, I Like, oh my god, look at this shaky cam shot of her cutting herself. That's so funny, and I'm like... I am alarmed by that being your response to this. Yeah. And also, I couldn't figure it out. In ter- Speaking of the shaking cam, because most of the film is shot with like handheld cameras. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out what the fuck it reminded me of, and I've just realized. So I was like, oh, it's kind of like music video-y. It's a little this. It's a little that. No. What the specific shots in this movie look like is the um, flashbacks to the crime from CSI.
0: Do you know what else it reminds me of? What? The handheld scenes from the Lifetime original movie, She's Too Young.
1: I mean, sure. A movie I, we will I have not seen in. that nearly as many times as you are, but like anytime that, like, anytime they go and do a flashback of being like, this is how the blood got on his pants, or like they were wrestling for the gun, it's always this shaky cam, weirdly lit, like strange color choice flashback in CSI. Mm-hmm. This is just the crime mm-hmm. for the whole movie.
0: <laughs> and I think that stylistic choice. I think one is brilliant because it feels so lived in whenever we watch well, this I feel like movie. I'm watching
1: something I shouldn't be watching. I don't yes. feel so much like I'm watching a movie.
0: And so much of this movie is like very gritty and it's lit in ways that feels like all of the light is practical. I feel like I'm going through one of my friend's digital cameras. Like mm-hmm. that's what this movie feels like to me and why I think it is so uncomfortable because it just really captures this specific time period because we have to remember this is the same time period and the same age as pen 15 and they are entirely different stories and it just goes to show like there is no such thing as a universal experience Mm -hmm. because what Maya and Anna are going through in pen 15 is not what Tracy and Evie are going through in 13. Well before we dive in any deeper and get into the very gritty Nitty gritty of 13. It is time for everyone's favorite part of the show.
1: Happy July prom party. Quick announcement for those of you who like to listen to the podcast over on the Stitcher platform, I'm sure that you probably have noticed this already, but Stitcher is going away after July. If you want more information about how that relates to our show, we made a post about it that is free to view on our Patreon, and it goes into far more detail about it. Also on the Patreon, things that you can look forward to this month, are City Hawkins Dance Teen Boy Movies. Two excellent films this month. We're doing Orange County and Stand By Me. For our Molly Tier patrons up at the highest level, we are unfortunately done with Freaks and Geeks, and now moving on to My so Called Life, which I have watch precisely none of, and know virtually nothing about. So this will be a very enlightening experience, basically like how everything on this show is. And for Musical Milestones, we made a promise about a year ago when we launched it that we covered MySpace once. We're coming back to talk about MySpace emo bands and the unique relationship they had with teenagers and teen girls in particular. Aside from all the mini-episodes, you also get the benefits of access to our suggestion box, the monthly playlist and newsletter, and obviously the extensive back catalog of previous releases that we have on the Patreon. If you're not able to, like, fiscally support the podcast, obviously we totally understand, as always. Just know that the best thing you can do to support a show is to share it, rate it, review it. Just let people know that you love us and you think that what we do is great. It goes just as far as your dollars do. Thank you, and now back to the movie.
0: All righty, so our first main character in this is Tracy, played by the adorably young Evan Rachel Wood, who we saw previously during our Across the Universe episode. Welcome back. It's been like two months. What a
1: juxtaposition. (laughs) Fucking right. You had money in that movie. I know. Oh, God. So
0: how do you feel about Tracy as a character?
1: What's what's the line from that Jay-Z has in Umbrella? Good girl gone bad. <laughs> it's uh it's that.
0: Yeah.
2: Where yeah.
1: she is she wants attention from the girls that she thinks are cool in school. Mm-hmm. She's it's it's the thing that we saw a lot when we did pen 15, where it's like, no, these are like these are like my 12-year-old clothes. I need 13-year-old clothes. I'm an adult now, mm-hmm. and she's sick of like looking immature. She wants to be cool, she wants to be Edgy. She wants to be hot. She wants to be popular. She wants all of these things, and uh, she goes about it in a, a very dangerous way by befriending Evie, who seems like a good friend, and then is immediately gives her a shit number and is not a good friend. Mm-hmm. And then we find out she's actually a worse friend, and it just keeps going from there.
0: Yeah. So a thing that I. Always have like pushback feelings about is so many people view this movie as like Evie corrupted Tracy and I don't know Tracy agree. wanted this Tracy wanted this
1: mm-hmm. um, she be- would have done it on her own she just would have did it in a different way
0: totally um because Tracy is having a rough time at home. Holly Hunter, who is her mom Mel, is trying her best but is also dealing with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy's dad really isn't around. He's too busy with his new job and his new family to pay
1: any real attention to Tracy or her brother Mason. Yes, for for context, Holly Hunter is a rough covering alcoholic who dropped out of high school and is a hairdresser from inside their house.
0: Yeah. She she's definitely running like illegal hairdressing like business in mm-hmm. their house. Um, she's in recovery. She's, you know, trying to do her meetings. Um, she is dating Jeremy Sisto, uh, who is, his name is Brady. He is a recovering coke addict. Um, is he
1: recovering or he, is he just a coke addict?
0: I think he's, he's, we're catching him when he's falling back off the wagon. Okay. Um, I mean, there's like a little flashback scene where Tracy has seen him like relapsing and it was really traumatic for her. So her home life is not great. Um, she is trying her best to, like, focus on school and be a good kid and do all these, you know, the quote-unquote good girl things. But it's very clear to her that having all of these responsibilities is a little bit too much for her. Mm -hmm. Um, She does self-harm. This, I think, is the first movie that I ever saw address the the self-harm stuff with teen girls, especially, like, 13-year-olds. And that was a very big part of my junior high and early high school experience
1: same was, uh, i i did legs not wrists cuz it was more easily concealable cuz you know you you wear longer shorts as a boy in high school mm that right? does this make is sense. the 2000s. you get away with it easier um, an interesting note is that uh, she she's she's going uptown and not across the street yeah this child has a death wish
0: yeah yeah um it, it's pretty intense to to watch and it's like i Gavin Hardwick gets talked extensively about how hard it was to get financing for this movie. Um, I can't she, imagine why. She got paid $2 for the script and $1 for directing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that was her choice because she wanted the rest of the money to go into the movie. So she like did not make money off of this movie at mm-hmm. all because she just wanted to make it. Um, but that is that is a thing. Like This is a, a very unflinching portrayal
1: of self-harm. And mm-hmm. it can be extremely triggering to people. Um, I mean, it's just a movie about self-destruction.
0: It is, it like,
1: is. Th- that, that's what it is. Like, you could say, like, oh, Evie corrupted her, and it's like, no, it's two girls who are self-destructing to get through life, mm-hmm. and they're doing it to each other, and themselves. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, they are bad influences on each other.
0: Yes. Like, like this, this is, this is Evie, oil Evie and got,
1: water. Evie got, Evie got Tracy over a line, and now they are just bouncing off of each other.
0: Yeah. Like, because, you know, Tracy is like, hey, we should hang out, Evie gives her the fake number... Tracy absolutely could have been like, "Well, I'm done here." Like she clearly doesn't want to be my friend, yeah. but she says she's like, "No," and she shows up to where she knows they're going to be anyway and finds them.
1: Yep. So like and she's they're, they're stealing shit, mm-hmm. and then she's like, "Well, I'm not going to steal merch." She goes outside and steals some lady's wallet with like a ton of money in it, and they go on a shopping spree. Yeah. And thus starts their criminal streak. Yeah. At least as far as we can see, Evie's clearly shoplifted before.
0: Did you shoplift when you were a kid?
1: No. I'm really hard to blend in. <laughs>
0: You know, that's that's a great People point.
1: People notice me when I go places. That's a very,
0: very good point.
1: So, yeah, there you go. I definitely shoplifted. Of course, you did. You I was
0: nowhere near as good as some of my friends uh, because they were much better at it than I was. But yeah, I
1: shoplifted. I never shoplifted. I got really upset. Um, it would have, God, it would have been around this time because it was in like seventh, eighth grade. So, it may have been a couple of years before I would have been 13, like 11 years old, we'll say. And, uh, on the way home from, from junior high, we would, we would walk past the local Benjamin Franklin's. Is We'd, that
0: like a, is that like a, di- like a dime store?
1: Uh, yes. For anybody who does not know what a Benjamin Franklin's is, cause I think it's exclusively an Ohio thing. Uh, yes, it is a dime store where you can buy like very, uh, royalty free toys, like army men. Like, old-timey shit like that. Uh, you can buy models. Mm-hmm. You can buy, like, candy, but, like, old-timey candy. Like, candy cigarettes and zots. Oh, I fucking love old-timey candy. candy buttons. I'd be thrilled. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> and then the back of ours was an aquarium where you could buy uh, hamsters and fish and shit.
0: Like, beta fish or, like, goldfish? Like,
1: just smaller fish. All right. Like tank fish. All Nothing right. fancy. Mm-hmm. I think it was called, like, Neptune's Cellar or something. It was officially, like, the back part of Benjamin Franklin's. Gotcha. Um, but, yes, we would go in there and we'd buy Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Cool kids. And we were cool kids, except there was one guy who would always walk home with us. His name was Kenny. Kenny was a bad kid.
0: Ooh. And he's stealing Yu-Gi-Oh cards
1: No he was stealing all sorts of other shit mm. And he was just like oh here you go And like we didn't really know what it was like the first couple times We were just like oh yeah I got stuff here you go have some things And we're like wow cool And then eventually um, after like Maybe a couple of weeks the person who was working There was just like you can't come in here anymore And I was like what why and it's like he's stealing Things you're all stealing things and I'm like no I'm not <laughs> Where am I Supposed to buy my Yu-Gi-Oh cards if you Kick me out <laughs>
0: I mean, I stole mostly from, like, Target and Claire's, so... Dude, we didn't even have a Target in my town. (laughs) We didn't either. We had to drive to get there. We had a Kmart,
1: and I had to cross, like, a highway to get to it. Yeah, we had,
0: like, we had a trolley system, so we would go there, and, like, that's when we would take things. Um, And, like, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that was not, like, my best behavior. That was not a nice thing. But, but also,
1: it's Claire's. Also, it's, it's not Claire's. Really nice I'm stealing anyway. jewelry
0: that's going to turn my skin green. So if anything, like I'm just punishing myself. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So Evie, Evie, and Tracy, uh, you know, start hanging out more and more. And Evie very, very quickly becomes dependent on Tracy because it's obvious that she's not in a great place. She's she needs not a having place to home be. Life. She needs somewhere to go. Her mom is not in the picture. Her dad is not in the picture. She lives with Brooke, who is described as being, like, an older cousin, but it is also, like, not 100% clear if, like... She's just kind of a lady. If, like, that's who she actually is in Evie's life, or if that's just what... Evie has been telling people, like, or is this actually Evie's mom? But it's one of those situations where like, don't tell people I'm your mom because I don't want people to know how old I am. Well, it's like because
1: she wants to be like she still has headshots up that are yeah. from like maybe like ten years ago.
0: It's also Deborah Unger, who is like so talented and hot, and seeing her in this way is very
1: like shocking. It's it's upsetting. Like, um, if, if for anybody who's curious, she's the like Kind of witch-looking mom in Silent Hill.
0: Yeah, she's Alessa Gillespie's mom, the one who's just covered in filth and like,
1: because she's been outside with the rust rather than in with the church and the faith and shit. Yeah, and you watch it in that and go, no, I know that like you're you're kind of like filthy right now, but like you're so I can tell you're hot (laughs) under there. It's the same thing as the mom in Evil Dead Rise, where I'm like, listen. I... I can tell under the deadite you're hot.
0: <laughs> like just I can watching tell th- Alyssa Sutherland is a babe. Yeah, I can watch
1: that trailer and go, no, but she's clearly hot under that. <laughs> and then you watch the movie when she's not a deadite yet. You go, no, but absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I know
1: this is not the takeaway of the fucking movie, but like we're trying to add levity where we can, goddammit. Yeah. So anyway, uh, she's clearly like, th- I would not rule that out that she's actually the mom, but she's like, don't call me mom because then I feel old and I feel like I'm being relegated to being mom forever rather than a person with my own dreams and goals. Right. I would buy that.
0: Yeah, I mean, because like but Evie... But there's all
1: multiple possibilities.
0: It's because Evie is also like so quickly dismissive of like, my mom's a crack whore, remember? Mm-hmm. And it's very much like, is that true or are you parroting a thing you've been told? Like, mm-hmm. who knows? Like, we, we really don't know. And that's something that I love about this script is that... Both Tracy and Evie are unreliable narrators, mm-hmm. um, and they are very good at, like, psychological manipulation be- to get what they want.
1: That's, that's the thing we talk about with teen girls a lot, mm-hmm. where it's like, they're emotional terrorists.
0: This will... men, men are,
1: Teen boys are not this smart. They just punch something and go, I hit the wall. I got mad one time, which is also bad. Mm-hmm. But it's more clearly obviously bad versus this, which is way more fucking yeah, conniving. Gr- girls will ruin your fucking life. Like, um. <laughs> my, my first girlfriend in high school when I broke up with her because she was a little, little much. Um, she was going around to people saying she cut herself. And then she was trying to show people the scars. And it was pencil. Mm. She was just drawing lines on herself. And it was like, don't look close. Okay. But everyone's like, dude, you just drew those. No, I didn't. Mm. So like being a 13, 14, 15 year old girl, you go through a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. You need attention in lots of ways.
0: Big emotions, huge emotions. Yes. None of the tools to help you process Not at all. Which is.
1: Especially when you do things like push everyone away.
0: Yes. And that's what we're seeing with both Tracy and Evie is that they are pushing everybody in their lives away. They are becoming very, very insular. They are becoming like. Very codependent, very, mm-hmm. very quickly. It's
1: because nobody understands them like each other. Exactly. Morning, mom. Whoa! Hey! Hey! <coughs>
2: Knocking's real good. Uh, mom, we have something really important that we need to talk to you about. Okay? Okay. Um, I think that I would get along a lot better with everybody if Phoebe just lived with us. Brooke will pay you to take me. She won't be like all the other freeloaders. She was abused by her uncle when she was nine. Mel, he, he put things inside me. And he pushed me into a fire. OK. Mel, you could really help me if I lived here. You could maybe even save me. Okay, I'll think about it. You're so
1: cool. I don't know how it is prior to the movie. Like it seems fine, but I feel like Tracy and her mom have a solid enough relationship. Like her mom is getting by. Like they have a house with a yard in Los Angeles, which I'm sure was much cheaper in 2003 versus now. But you know, like they're doing okay enough that they're Mm -hmm. not. They're not in the worst shape ever. Like, yes. they have a home with a yard, not an apartment. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. So I think that they have an okay relationship. But then her, then her, then she meets this new friend who comes in and it's very much like, Fuck you, mom. I fucking hate you, you dumb cunt. It's like just immediately these big explosions of feelings that I'm not sure if they've just been bubbling under for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now she's got like this persona of the, the the tough aggressive bad girl who would tell you to suck her dick i don't know if like that's how she's finally funneling her feelings out mm-hmm. or if it's like this is what i'm supposed to do because my mom is telling me that i d- can't do something and i want freedom
0: yeah there again it's it's complicated like, i feel like there's a lot of girls are complicated
1: speculative things that you can have in this because they don't give you a lot of details yes especially because so much of the movie is through the perspective of Two 13-year-old girls who are high and drunk most of the movie. Yeah. So, who Again, knows?
0: unreliable.
1: It's it's the thing we had with Party Monster last month, where it's like, well, I think this is what happens. This is mm-hmm. what they say happens. Right. Who can tell?
0: So, there was a roundtable discussion that was done through Refinery29 five years ago for the 15-year anniversary, and mm-hmm. there are some things in here that I wanted to bring up because I think it adds important context. Um. So the writer says, I wouldn't learn until years later that the film was helmed by women. The script emerged out of a collaboration between Hardwick and Reed, Nikki Reedy plays Evie, who had a personal connection. Hardwick had been in a long-term relationship with Reed's father and thought of her as kind of a surrogate daughter. They kept in touch after their breakup and Hardwick started noticing that something wasn't right with Reed. Much like Tracy, she was acting out, rising rapidly through the ranks of popularity at her West LA high school- And then her friends got busted for selling crystal meth. Oh, great! So, 13-year-olds. 13-year-olds busted for selling
1: crystal meth. Years before Breaking Bad told everyone how to make crystal meth.
0: Yes. Um, So, in her concern for her, Hardwick invited her to her Venice Beach home. It was there that over a six-day period in January of 2002, the pair wrote the script that would become 13. In the aftermath, they made a pact. If Hardwick could get the film into production, she would direct it, and then Reed would star in it. Um... And in terms of how, like, trying to get funding for this, like, it's a teen movie, but it is not, it's a it's a rated R movie.
1: That's already a knock against it. It's, it's a, a teen d- movie during a time when this is certainly not the teen movie we would want. In yes. the 90s, you could get away with this.
0: Yes, uh, but it's also a woman director. It's mm-hmm. a script written by a teenager. It's a script written by an unknown teenager, not like some child star. Yeah. Um, it's very edgy. It's going to depict a lot of fucked up situations. They really couldn't find financing until Holly Hunter signed on, and obviously that turned out to be a great thing because she got an Oscar nomination well,
1: for yeah, it. Well, yeah, because Holly Hunter is extremely talented. Because she's amazing.
0: She's is Fucking Incredible. And she's literally, she's Mrs. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that kind of changed everything. Um, the film was only released in five theaters. It didn't make a whole lot of money until people started talking about it. But it did, you know, win some stuff at Sundance. But this is a movie that, like, hearing about it is what made people want to seek it out. Because you're not going to believe what this movie shows.
1: So here's my question for you as a person who doesn't know enough about, like, this movie and its history. Um, similarly... To how, like, Sean Baker's Tangerine, like, it wasn't his first movie that gained attention, but I feel like the pitch of Tangerine to most people going, you gotta check this movie out, is the stuff that happens, but also, he made the movie on a fucking iPhone I feel like this is probably one of those other movies where it's like, it's written by a 13-year-old.
0: Yeah, that was right? definitely a part of like the push of like, this is an authentic look because it was written by an actual teen. That's like, one
1: of the, uh, the pitches you get for one mm-hmm. of your friends going like, you're not going to fucking believe, here's the backstory of this movie.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a part of it. And what's fascinating is that they would do screenings where like child psychologists would be there and do like Q&As with Catherine Hardwick afterwards. Oh goodness. And there have been a like I've read a lot of interviews so I'm not sure which one specifically this is from, but Catherine Hardwick talks about being at like one of these we call them talkbacks but being at one of these talkbacks where a parent was like so fucking defiant and was like my daughter would never like that kind of thing mm-hmm. which i'm if you're a parent i don't care how well you think you know your child if you ever have the thought in your head of like my child would never i'm telling you you're wrong because i got away with so much shit as a teenager that nobody knew because I had good grades. I did community service. I was a fucking pageant queen. And at the same time I was doing a lot of drugs and I was very depressed and suicidal and fucking strangers. Mm -hmm. Like I promise you kids are so much more secretive than you realize. And, I had the internet, so, like, you could have found out any of this, but just people didn't. You had
1: loving parents who were active in your life. I did.
0: I did. That's the other thing. I had parents that were there who actually paid attention to me. What the fuck is
1: <laughs> your problem? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, like, it was just, I'm just mentally ill. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just built different, and by different, <laughs> broken. Yeah. Uh. So... So like she would have these conversations, but then there would be like child psychologists who would be like, I need you to understand this is tame compared to what a lot of people go through. No one gets pregnant. No one dies. No one gets assaulted. No one gets assaulted. There's no car accident. Um, but yeah, so like they would do the like, like this movie was treated kind of as like a scared straight or like a oh, you're not, worry about your children. And, like, that's so clearly not the intention of this movie. Like, this movie is just depicting an entirely different type of of coming-of-age experience because, you know, the problem we talk about on the show all the time, the teen genre is extremely white, is extremely wealthy, is extremely privileged. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest problems that they have in their lives is... Huh, is Andrew McCarthy gonna wanna take me to the prom? This is tough. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the problems that a lot of them have. Whereas,
1: those were like kind of the extent of my problems in high school. Because I I was a boring kid. I was a boring (laughs) kid until like I was 15, 16. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like that was the extent of my whatever. It's like, man, Ferris Bueller's just the bee's knees. And like, that's that's, that's probably a lot of teens, but especially in the 2000s teens didn't want to be boring. Mm-hmm. This is like the original like fucking FOMO. It kind of where it's like no, you can't be a fucking loser. You need to be doing something cool. Mm-hmm. You're young. You're supposed to be being doing drugs and fucking people and making mistakes. Mhm. Like that's 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 the ethos of the original FOMO and YOLO and all that shit that we would see much more uh give, give given terms in like the internet age.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's something to keep in in mind is how this movie has also been digested, I think, also depends entirely on how you grew up and what your teenage life was like. Like like we said earlier, there are people who find this movie to be funny, and it's because they can't wrap their heads around the fact that this is reality for a lot of people. Couldn't be me. Um, And as this Refinery29 piece says... 13 was an extreme portrayal of the alienation of an especially troubled teenage girl, but that hunger for an outlet for those complicated motions is universal. I had a need in me, and like Tracy, to just explode, Wood said, and acting was something I did so that I could do that. I felt like I couldn't do it anywhere else. So Evan Rachel Wood has also talked about how she did self-harm when she was younger, and this movie was the first time that, like, she felt validated in having those feelings. Mm-hmm. And it helped her to, like, work through a little bit of that, mm-hmm. which I think is invaluable. I love that. Um, but I want to talk about specifically the depiction of teenage sexuality in this movie, since we've been kind of tiptoeing around it.
1: Oh, it is. It is it is naughty feeling watching this movie. I, I Calling this movie voyeuristic, as I have several times already... There's some scenes where I'm like, oh, I, I feel gross watching this. Mm-hmm. And then that meant like I want to have a discussion in this episode at some point about intimacy coordinators on set because this was not a commonplace thing uh, at the time.
0: Yeah. So for those that don't know, an intimacy coordinator is somebody who on a film set, their entire job is to basically make sure that every step of the way, anytime actors are performing anything that is like sexual or requires like physical touch or anything remotely close to being intimate their job is to make sure that they're okay that that is like their whole purpose and the need for intimacy coordinators is definitely like th- it is a good thing mm-hmm. a lot because a lot of productions don't fucking give a shit and like that is a problem and there is a history of abuse in the industry of people who have been treated poorly because directors didn't care or they manipulated actors or what have you. Like,
1: like The Shining.
0: Yeah. Like there is there is a B- big need. Big, obvious, well-known example. There is a need for intimacy coordinators. I have a somewhat controversial feeling about intimacy coordinators because I don't think that they should exist. And not that I don't think that they should exist in terms of like we shouldn't care about this. But I feel like directors, like, this should be, like, baseline, bare minimum. The fact that there can be somebody who can direct a film who doesn't have the sensitivity training to also double as their film's intimacy coordinator, I think is super fucking weird. Well, we,
1: we've learned in over the years, many, many years, a lot of directors are bad people. Mm-hmm. And there's just, most directors are dudes, and, and a lot of dudes do a lot of bad things, and especially just for the sake of, like, acclaim. Uh...
0: If. And yeah, and my thoughts on that is <laughs> they shouldn't work anymore then. I agree.
1: <laughs> so um, Because
0: I also feel like by having an intimacy coordinator, there are definitely some directors who will be like, this is great and I want to work in tandem with this intimacy coordinator, make sure my my cast feels as safe as possible. But there are now definitely going to be male directors who are like, not my, my shit to, to worry about. That's the intimacy coordinator's job. I don't have to think about this. Yeah. And that I think is a huge fucking problem. I
1: feel like having an intimacy coordinator on a film is a, uh, a solution to a problem that shouldn't exist, but does exist. Mm-hmm. So there we go. We put a band on it.
0: Yeah, and I also feel like for me personally, cause I have been an actor who works with intimacy coordinators. It is for me, it makes it feel awkward because when it's mostly been in theater, but like when I've been working with people for a long period of time and I have this rapport with my actors and I have this rapport with the director to have somebody random show up for like two days to be like, all right. And now I'm here when you're naked. Like that feels weird to me, mm-hmm. which is why I have mixed feelings about intimacy coordinators. I do overall think that they're a positive thing, yeah. but I also think that like, Th- this should be the fucking standard.
1: Like, well, all of this is accounting for, like, the goodwill of people, but people are extremely flawed. People are flawed. shitheads. Like, be- people, people are terrible. <laughs> people are fucking flawed. So that means that you, even your intimacy coordinators are going to range in quality. Exactly. Much like a fucking therapist will, much like a fucking, I don't know, a, a employee at Subway is going to make you a better sandwich than some other people at Subway. Right. Like, it's just, there's, there's going to be differences in any career. Um I remember, and this is a feeling that came flooding back to me watching this movie, uh, was watching kids for the first time. hmm And the context with which I saw kids, I was, I believe, 19 years old. I was had a lot of things that I had not processed through at fucking all at that point, because things got real interesting when I was 16. And
0: Hey, listen to some of our previous episodes for
1: that. Don't worry. One day we'll do hard candy, and that'll be a whole new can of worms. But... uh in the meantime, the, the, it was at the LGBT Center. They had to have some sort of programming mm-hmm. in order to get grant funding. So it was the youth group, which was like 16 to like 22 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And basically what that meant was sometimes they would just plop you in front of a movie and go, you're watching a movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're watching a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. There you go. That was the, some, to the extent sometimes the amount of coordinating that they would do. Mm-hmm. One time they just put kids on.
0: You That is not a movie that you just, like, plop in front of people. Like, that it is not felt, a
1: babysitter movie. It felt a little bit like when uh, there's a substitute teacher and they wheel in the CRT on the little stand. Mm-hmm. And they go, we're putting a movie on. And then the teacher left the room.
0: Yeah, don't do that. So it was
1: just people <laughs> between the ages of, like, 16. And I think I was the oldest one at 19 watching kids. And we were all like, why does it feel like we are watching, like. Children and sexually explicit things. Like, why does this feel gross? Why do I feel like they just put us in front of us? I think they were trying to scare us straight or something. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what the plan was for kids. There's a million things they could have shown us. They decided to do that. But then there's this movie. And there's multiple scenes where, like, Nikki Reed just, like, takes her shirt off. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm seeing a very young girl in her bra. And, like, that's technically not different than a swimsuit. But it's extremely different than a swimsuit. And it's in a bedroom. And it feels weird. And then there's the scene with their with their lifeguard boy neighbor. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is so much. And I have feelings that I have not felt since I was 19. And it's icky. So yeah. let's talk about this scene. So
0: in that scene, because um, Catherine Hardwick has talked about this, the, the guy in that scene is Kit Pardue. He is an actor who still works today. Okay. He works a lot. He's been in a lot of things. Um, he did not realize when he had signed on for the role that the actors were actually 14 and he uh, rightfully freaked the fuck out. He was like 27 at the time. Um, But because Catherine Hardwick is a fucking champion, um, she had everything already set up and scheduled. There was a set of rules. They kind of did like, like the psycho approach to like how everybody talks about the psycho shower scene. Like, Oh my God, it's so terrifying. It's so graphic. It's not. It's your brain is playing tricks it's on you. It's filling in the blanks. It's filling in the blanks. And that is what this scene does. Like, they do kiss, correct? He was not allowed to touch any of them in certain areas. They were not allowed to touch him in certain areas. Um, but the way that it is shot, the way that it is edited, like, your brain starts filling in those gaps.
1: Well, because you know what it means.
0: Yes. You um, know how
1: old these girls are. Mm-hmm. You know he is... Older than them. Mm-hmm. And you just go. Mm.
0: Yeah. Like you're so repulsed. And like horrified. About what's happening. That your brain starts. Filling in. The worst possible scenarios. Um, But they had Catherine on set. Obviously Catherine is a. Maternal figure already to read. So this might as well. Be like a stage mom. Sort of situation. But like Evan Rachel Wood. Had people there. They had. uh The, sc- the teacher. Like they had an educator. Because when you're dealing with. Actors this young. You have to have an onset educator. Like they were there. They had like everything to keep the girls and this guy feel safe because yes, obviously the girls are the priority. They are minors. We Mm -hmm. have to protect them. But also it is a mind fuck having this 27 year old man kiss a 14 year old. Yes. That is fucked. And mm. this is like, this is why I get in these fights with people all the time where they will complain about like teen shows or whatever, where they're like, why do they always cast people in their 20s? And it's like, because of shit like this. Because if you cast people that are age appropriate, You now can no longer tackle a lot of very important topics because it's inappropriate to have, like, a teenager do these things. But when you have people that are above age, it's different. Mm -hmm. That's why. Like, it has nothing to do with, like, oh, we're trying to sexualize old girls to be older. It's like, no, we're protecting young actors is what's happening.
1: I mean, that's... Because
0: this could never happen today, no, like God, straight no. up could not fucking happen. No, no, no. no. And I, I, do think that's a good thing. I think it very much is a good thing that it shouldn't happen today. Correct. But I am very relieved to know that even during like the wild west of the two thousands, where people were doing so much fucking unethical shit in movies, especially indie films, especially indie films, that Catherine Hardwicke was like, no, 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 no. Even though there are no rules for this yet, there are no like standards. There's no such thing. We have really, principles, damn as it. As an intimacy court. She did make sure that everybody was cool and both Nikki Reed and Evan Rachel would have talked about being in this film extensively and they're like, yeah, no, we felt safe every step of the way. We always felt good. I have no problems or regrets about this movie. Like they speak very positively about the entire experience, even though the material is so fucking dark. Meanwhile, You will then have horror stories from kids that were, like, working on Nickelodeon shows and having to deal with Dan Schneider, who was an absolute fucking monster. Mm -hmm. So it does kind of paint this picture of, like, you have a movie like 13, which is so extreme and so graphic and, and violent and sexual and dangerous, but everybody who was on that film was, like, taken care of. And then you have squeaky clean Nickelodeon shows where so many of the the actors left feeling traumatized and taken advantage of and abused and it's like yeah what you're presenting on screen is not a reflection of what's going on behind the scenes and i would love if people got that through their fucking head well it's all
1: it's all perception mm-hmm. like you didn't look like someone who did a bunch of drugs in high school because sure you did were not. very very capable mm-hmm. you know it's the it's it's threats hiding in plain sight because you want to believe that you're in good faith squeaky clean nickelodeon is going to be fine why wouldn't it be fine like there wouldn't possibly be human error in here because it's a silly fun time for kids Mm -hmm. so like i guess if you're going to be a more extreme film people are going to look for reasons to scrutinize you which means you need to be extra good and on top of things Mm -hmm. no one's going to scrutinize the guy who made *iCarly*. Right. Why would anybody go digging in there? What could possibly be hiding?
0: A foot fetish for children. Correct. That's what's hiding Correct. in plain sight. But it's
1: the perception of it. Yeah. Where God. you don't think about that. And if you question it in any way, it's like, well, why are you reaching there? What, where's your brain that you would go there first?
0: Anybody who watched Better Off Dead should have fucking known that Dan Schneider was a goddamn monster.
1: I'm glad he has a bad time in that movie. Yeah, he
0: sucks. He's the worst. We'll have to probably do just like a Dan Schneider episode someday for like a bonus episode of the podcast. But I think it's... Dude, what God.
1: A, that'll be such a fucking bummer. <laughs> uh, well, and this isn't? I mean, it is. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just bummers on top of bummers. <laughs> and like life is a bummer. I get it. It just means I'm not looking forward to it.
2: <laughs> Ooh, you want me to model my new thong? It's perfect for pooping on the go. What's that on your shirt? On new business. What is that? Don't worry about. It. Let me let me see that. No, Mom. What is it with you and poking I just me? Want to see what you Mom, got stop! There. What the hell is that? I'm talking to you. It's a belly. Button ring. Speak up! I can't hear you. It's a belly button ring. How else can I say it? I don't speak no other languages. Oh, <laughs> you don't know what that is. That is a tongue ring. What did you do all this, baby? <laughs> oh, Mom. 2,000 years ago. I'm a mummy. I was born 2,000 years ago. What? Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. Tracy. Uh, I'm really starting oh to
0: lose it. it. Stop it, please. So, okay. Ba- back on track with 13. A- another aspect of sexuality that was definitely hammered home with this is that at one point... Evie and Tracy experiment with each other. And it's, it's you know, PG. They make out. They are still 14-year-olds playing 13-year-olds, mm-hmm. but they do make out, and it is very intimate. It is very sexually
1: charged. And I asked BJ, is this what actually happens at girls' sleepovers?
0: It depends on who's at the sleepover.
1: Mm-hmm. It depends on who's at the
0: sleepover. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have made out with a lot of my friends, and uh, they are all straight. So it seems. So they claim. It was just girls having fun. It was just girls having fun and practicing and whatever. It meant a lot to me. Okay. I will say, say that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's not weird when you did it. You were 14 and, like, they were 14 and it's fine.
0: It's, like, it's very weird to, like, talk That's just about. growing up. Yeah, it's weird to talk about it as an adult because I think people, like, hear it through the adult voice and then they assume gross things. It's like, no, 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 I'm not, like... Looking back fondly on, like, making out with a 14-year-old, I'm just, as a 14-year-old, this was a canon experience for me. It was a, well, it was a big deal. This is, like,
1: one of those things where I'm like, oh, man, Sailor Moon is so cute. And it's like, she's 14. And I was like, I had a crush on her when I was, like, eight.
0: Right. Like, <laughs> chill the fuck out, people. Um, it's not my
1: fault she didn't get older.
0: Right. Like, I don't still have a crush no. on any of them. Like, no. But, like, again, people are weird. And they are weird about things. Um, so that's why a lot of these conversations are so hard to have because people assume bad faith immediately mm-hmm. and they project all sorts of shit on people instead of actually just well, listening. I
1: mean, that's man. Isn't that the story of being trans in America right now? God fucking right. Yeah.
0: Oh. yeah. So the two of them, like they do have this, this, this moment of intimacy together. And in this refinery roundtable, Evan Rachel Wood talks about how, because they worked so closely together and they had these moments of intimacy and whatever, uh, she says, there were moments where I looked at you and I felt like I was in love with you. Mm-hmm. Like That's why the chemistry in this movie is so unbelievably good. Because the two of them really did become very close and became very good friends. And Evan Rachel Wood is queer and she's out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a 13-year-old, she was still figuring that out. But she was like, oh, yeah, I was in love with her at, mm-hmm. at certain moments. And like that, I think is worth mentioning. It comes through. It comes through. It really, really does come through. And like, that's not a unique experience. People fall in love with their co-stars all the time on these movies. But what happened after 13 is something that I think is worth talking about, which is that reminder, they are 14. Mm -hmm. It is the 2000s. -hmm. This is the decade of the Mary Kate and Ashley turning 18 countdown clock. Mm -hmm. This is a horrific decade. After 13, Media and journalists and all these people started pitting Nikki Reed and Ever Rachel Wood against one another of which one of these girls is more talented, which one of these girls has the brighter future, which one of these girls is hotter. These were very, very real things that started making headlines and in magazines and what have you. And it fucked both of them up mentally to where they stopped being friends and did not talk until they were like 25 mm-hmm. because it got so ugly where when when everyone around you is telling you this person is prettier than you, this person's more talented than you, your career's gonna fall and she's gonna be famous or whatever, whatever. And you're this young, you do start to internalize that stuff. Um, but luckily, from everything that I've I've gathered in, you know, subsequent interviews, they talked when they were 25, and it was very much like, what the fuck happened? Like, we love each other. Why, why, why are we not friends anymore? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, no, we got pitted against each other because this was a terrible decade and people are awful. But yes, I still deeply care about you. Let's be friends again. And they're still very close. I guess they talk, like, daily, if not weekly. They FaceTime all the time. So they do still have a connection, which makes me feel
1: so good. I love that. I hate that the 2000s are coming back.
0: I do too. Like, it is...
1: Like, not because I feel old. Like, I feel like whenever, like, the 80s came back, when the 90s came back, everyone was like, oh, no. Like, I'm not old enough for my teenage years to be, like, the retro thing that the teens are emulating. It's like, no, I have no... I don't give a shit that they are, like, I don't feel old at all. I mm-hmm. mean, my back hurts and my knee hurts. The... Fine. Like, I don't feel old because you they're discovering, like, Eternal Sunshine at the Spotless Mind or some shit like that. Right. Like, that's not, that doesn't bother me. I feel, like, shit because there's a bad story behind everything that was popular in the 2000s. Yeah. And... That's something that I'm not sure that these teens understand when they're like, "We're bringing low-rise pants back," and I was like, "That's rooted in horrible uh, fat phobia and eating disorders," mm-hmm. um, because it's the only if you if you did that, you got a muffin top, and if you had a muffin top, you got made fun of. Mm-hmm. And this movie is all about like the low-rise jeans and showing midriff, getting and, the
0: whale tail, yes. of of thongs, whale and tail, belly, belly button, button piercing,
1: like yep, like it is all of the. Um, I'm going to say worst things about 2000s fashion. Um, yeah, it feels horrible to look back on this movie right now and knowing that like we are on the 20 year anniversary of this and all of the horrible things are being dredged up. Like this movie is a reminder of a lot of things that made me feel terrible. Mm. And like I wasn't even a teen girl at the time. Like even something as simple as like, hey, it reminds me of that time that I got locked in a room with kids. Like, it brings up a lot of bad feelings. This movie is a terrible experience.
0: Yeah, this movie, um, obviously, like, I knew what happened. I had seen it before, and I fully thought, oh, this will be fine. Like, I know what happens. This will be fine. I was not prepared to regress while watching it. I was not prepared for my brain to go back to that age Mm -hmm. and like, I started thinking about things that I forgot I had done and, you know, experiences that I had. Like, you know, they get the belly button piercing. And I remember, like, being in my bedroom and trying to pierce my own belly button with, like, a needle. Oh, no. Uh, because, as we'll discuss next week, like, uh, the parent trap is how I learned how to pierce ears. Mm-hmm. And I pierced many of my ears um, through the parent trap method. And I thought, oh, I could do the same thing with my belly button. No, you can't. You I, really I pierced can a lot
1: of friends' ears in public bathrooms.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of that stuff became, like, really common. I thought about, like... You know shoplifting which is a thing that like I definitely never think about as a thing that I did but I definitely did Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I think about it reminds you of a lot of things you forgot about
0: yeah I I forgot like what it was like Like, there's there's the moment where they go to talk to the boys and all of the girls are just standing my fucking dumpsters with like sunglasses on and smoking
1: well yeah that's where you have to go to smoke and
0: that's where you have to go to smoke and I was like well I never smoked because I had bad lungs but that's where I hung out all the time Mm -hmm. and was around all those people and you know the day that somebody actually gave me attention and not my Friends who were always like the regulation, haughty, like better looking people. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a huge fucking deal. Even though, like, I knew I don't actually like men, but I wanted the status. I wanted the acceptance of feeling like I was part of the group. And, like, the best way to do that was for a guy to think you were cool or to think you you were pretty.
1: Well, you were feeling othered. Yeah. And you don't want to feel othered. Like, that's what this movie is about. It's like you found someone who, even if you're bad for each other, Mm -hmm. feels right
0: yeah and uh, so in this refinery piece uh there are a couple points that i think are fascinating that i want to talk about nikki reed says i found myself in a weird position where i was being asked to be sort of the spokesperson for teen angst um a clip from her 2003 appearance on the ellen show shows her on the defensive explaining that she's a straight a student and just got her report card Both Reed and Wood are parents themselves now. Reed and her husband, Ian Somerhalder, have a one-year-old daughter, so now I guess she'd be six. Mm. Uh, Wood's son, Jack, from her previous marriage to actor Jamie Bell, is five, which means he's now ten. I'd show it to my son, she said of 13. I think boys need to be watching more female-centric films anyway so they have a better understanding about women and the opposite sex.
1: You know what? I agree with that. I think... Just wait till they're a little bit older to show this to them. Well, yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> um, and it says still they now feel they have a deeper understanding of the visceral reaction that adults, particularly parents, had to the film at the time. I see it all differently, Reed said. I'm totally terrified, and I'm also really grateful for it. I feel like I have a really good understanding of some of the things that are going on. Okay.
2: Bobby spilled a coke all over his pants and he couldn't perform what the fuck is wrong with you do you even know what time it is shit
0: call me baby and I want to talk about the boys in
1: this movie the boys who attention they are so desperately vying for
0: yes because it does fall into the one area that I feel like I, I can see why people would knock the movie for this but i also think it is way more complicated than surface level Uh the boys that the two of them are vying for the most and want the attention for the most are black and the movie sort of posits it in a in a position where it's like See, this is how you know the girls are going wild and out of control. They're fraternizing with black boys. How dangerous. Which is obviously like a suburban nightmare for racists.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's the movie making a statement. I think this is the movie being told from their perspective. I think this is two young girls who are associating that with like danger and excitement. Mm -hmm. And that's more of a reflection of what they understand than actually what the movie is proposing as a thing.
0: I agree. Like, that is how I have always interpreted it. And I think that it is more telling if somebody else is like, well, this movie is, pre- is, is portraying, you know, black men as dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, th- you're projecting onto this movie because well, that's not what the movie is
1: saying when, at all. When they get dropped off to watch a, uh, a fucking horrible Photoshop Jack Black movie... Yeah. (laughs) Um, when they get dropped off at the movie theater to go watch that they ditch and do drugs and go run around on like the sunset strip or something yeah and they lose track of time they get in trouble but I think that there's this like epiphany when they're with like this one like extra scary older white guy Mm -hmm. and it's like that's when it's not fun anymore he's scarier than anything like there's this I feel like for these girls, the classmates that they have or, like, these, these rappers on the street, like, they're exciting. They're fun. This is, this is novel. And they have a perception of what rap and black people are. And they're just like, yeah, I'm not like other girls. Mm-hmm. I like danger. And I want this and that. But then they get this fucking white guy who is not fitting with their idea of fun and danger. Mm-hmm. And he's just genuinely scary and is going to take them a scary place. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it gets too real and they, like, kind of sober up and go, oh, fuck, we got to get back to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. So I think this movie is, like, got its head in the right place. hmm People just catch the first glance thing and then don't adjust their view as the movie goes on.
0: I agree. I think I think that's a big part of it, too. And I also do think that, like, they are genuinely interested in these boys. Like, well, of course. Like, they genuinely... They're just like, oh, my God,
1: they're like hot. ...like them.
0: Yeah, they find yeah. them attractive, they find them interesting, they find them cool, and... That also speaks to what we talked about earlier in the 2000s of, like, hip-hop was becoming, like, the most popular type of music.
1: Pop was going away. Oh, it was the biggest genre for a long time. It might still be the biggest genre in America. I think it is. I think it's been for, like, 15 years, like, factually.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think that, like, that is what we're seeing a reflection of. And it's like, could this be presented a bit better? Yeah, it's the early 2000s. Everything is not great.
1: Yeah, but also as, like, a sloppy messy dark movie i don't think these girls and this movie told from their perspective is presenting this going like how can we make our intentions look more clear in this movie yeah no when their intentions through basically everything is inference absolutely like we've already talked about like how loosey-goosey some of like the things are where it's like well we think this but it might be this Mm -hmm. so it's like fuck it maybe we're totally wrong on this but like that's how i read it yeah then again maybe it's just best uh, reading best intentions
0: Absolutely. So that's definitely something to like be aware of. But I do, I do think that it's a lot more complex and I think nuanced. It can be
1: both things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Multiple truths. We love them. We mm-hmm. love holding multiple truths here. Um, but the one relationship we really have not talked about a lot that we have to is is Mel. Um, so mom is trying her fucking best, but she is just as a, a dis- much of a disaster as the girls are.
1: I don't even think she's that much of a disaster as them because she's genuinely trying to improve. These are girls who are actively trying to destroy everything. Okay, that's a good point. She's struggling a lot. She's struggling, but it's still coming out like in the green. Yeah,
0: she's she's trying,
1: um, you know,
0: she because she's even like the positive factor in Brady's life where he's like, I just want to get fucking tanked right now. And she's like, go to a meeting, go to this thing. Go listen to someone, read a book. It'll you'll be fine. And he doesn't. He fucking goes on a bender. Because the next time we see him, he shows up and he's not got shoes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's walking in the street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's she's trying, but she's got so many things going on in her own life. And you know, she's trying to do all the hair and trying to go to her meetings and do all these things. She's not able to be more present in, in her daughter's life. And then, obviously, she's got Evie hanging around all the time. And
1: she Just clearly... Just another mouth to feed. Yeah,
0: she clearly has a, a lot of empathy for Evie. And Evie clings to her immediately because this is a mother figure she does not have. And she wants that, which I think it leads into her codependency with Tracy, is that she wants this life. I mean, they even ask her, like, hey, will you adopt me? Like, be will you be my mom? Can I live here now? Mm-hmm. And... Evie gives this story about being abused sexually and not feeling safe at home and the movie never makes it clear if that's a real thing she actually went through or if she's lying because she knows that it's a sob story that will like get sympathy points like
1: how are you gonna argue with that
0: exactly and we we again
1: this movie just presents things it's like I mean maybe it's this maybe it's not
0: and we even see that when you know, when they go to drop off at school and is like, why would you put me in that position in front of that poor girl? I cannot say no to her like yeah, that.
1: that's the plan. And
0: she's like, I know. <laughs> and it's like.
1: Love you, mom.
0: And so that's when you get this thing of like, is that true or are they just trying to manipulate her? Like, and mm-hmm. we don't know. And I love that the movie does not give us a definitive answer.
1: This movie doesn't give you an answer to a lot of things. No. It's, again, this movie is just a drug trip. You're going along for a ride. Stuff happens.
0: Yeah, you kind of have to like let this you got to let that tire fire burn out. Yeah. You've got to let it happen and you know, but Mel unquestionably loves her daughter. She's just at a loss and she mm-hmm. doesn't know how to fix this. And Mel's not a perfect mom. She no. she yells at her. She she's you know she short-tempered, does her best. but she's trying. Like yeah. she's really really trying and at the end of the movie when Brooke is basically like I'm moving Evie away because I think you're a bad influence oh. even though we know damn well like, one, it's mutual destruction. Like, they mm-hmm. they both were just going to destroy
1: each other. But, like, you know. They were going to destroy each other if they were together. Right. Like, they were going to go down in a blaze of glory. But that's not what happens. Yeah. Because Tracy, like, has, like, this moment of clarity and goes, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I need to get my life together. Mm-hmm. And then she ditches Evie. And that's where it's like, no, Tracy was just going to, like, abandon you and walk away. And Evie can't handle being abandoned. So she says, I will destroy you. Yes. I will burn your entire life and reputation to the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is how mom then finds out that her daughter has been self-harming. Also, this is just a pro tip for those at home. If your child is wearing long sleeves all the time and you live in a, in a, a warm environment...
1: Check their arms. I mean, uh, on top of like this is a thing that I feel like is um, maybe it's observable. Maybe it's reading too much into it, but it's like there's also, the uh like like cuffs like athletic mm-hmm. cuffs that you could that Ooh. had like some sort of em- embroidered thing that you would get at Hot Topic, the, the like ha- Hatchet Man or something yeah, like, like, like that on there. Fucking cool. a, million, a million rubber bracelets or, like, bead bracelets mm-hmm. that you would make. Like, there's things that you can use to cover it, especially in the 2000s, that are not long sleeves. Yeah,
0: the 2000s, like, I think part of why it was so rampant at the time, one, is also emo music making it, people felt validated, they felt mm-hmm. like they were safe to do it. But, yeah, the accessory options in the 2000s of just, like, having a bunch of shit all the way up your arm... You could hide a lot doing that.
1: Like, especially you had, like, stripe arm warmers. Oh, yeah. There's so many things. Um, But, like, I might be reading slightly too much into this because, again, it's those things that it's just, like, in hindsight, it's proposed, but maybe not. I wasn't really watching Nikki Reed's arms in this movie. There's plenty of other shit going on. But when they first, like, convene to be friends and they exchange, like, the fake phone number... One of the things they, like, zoom in on is, like, oh, she's wearing a lot of the same clothes. You're clearly emulating her style, Tracy. And then Mm -hmm. it zooms in on, like, the bracelets and stuff like that. And it's, like, "Mm, maybe there's a a kindred, like, you know, you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. there. So who knows? Who can say? But I I, I have a question for you as a person who understands children far better than I do. (laughs) Because let's make no mistake, they're 13, but they're children. They're children, yeah. Yeah. These are babies. What is Mel even supposed to do in this situation? Because, like... She tries some stuff. She tries to be a soft parent. Mm-hmm. She tries to be hands off in this and look how it gets her. And sometimes soft parenting doesn't isn't a good fit for every situation. It is not a multi-tool.
0: Well, so, okay, so gentle parenting or soft parenting, that is a thing you have to establish very, very young. You yeah. can't just spring that on kids. No. Because you have to establish that pattern. There has to be trust. Yeah, otherwise they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You just come across listen.
1: as a pushover. So, yeah. like... She tries that. She tries a few other things. Eventually she hits the breaking point where she's like, I'm about to fucking lose it and I'm going to relapse and I need my husband to take his kid away Mm -hmm. for a little bit because I just, I'm about to lose it. Mm -hmm. And like, this is one of those like, in the event of a plane crash, please secure your mask before your child situation. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, hey, if you die, the kid's going to die. But if you live, you can save the kid.
0: Yes. So So like-
1: She can't go down because she has two kids she has to worry about. She has a house she has to worry about. She has a lot of things on her fucking plate. Yeah. So I guess my question is, what do you do in this situation with a child like this? How do you fucking fix this? Because these are the kind of kids you would see pop up on, like, Dr. Phil and Maury and just be like, oh, my God, my child. South Park parody. Right.
0: Okay. So i'm prefacing this by saying i am not a child psychologist anything that i say cannot be taken as professional advice this is just purely observational from my years as working with children and as an educator and as being somebody who is uh trained in being trauma informed what is
1: this like this is not the solution it is a solution (laughs) yeah for legal
0: purposes this is a joke like it's not a joke but like Please understand that what I'm saying, like, is not going to work for every situation. This is not a one-size-fits-all. But looking at this situation specifically and the things that we know specifically, the typical advice of, like, take your child to a therapist, have a more active role in their life, don't leave them alone, blah, 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 blah. That is, like, all the good practice things. That is not going to happen in this world. Mm-hmm. Like, th- it is not going to happen with them Uh. Those resources don't exist. The ability to like take time and like the, I feel like that a lot wor- of this good advice only works if you have fucking money. I, like
1: true, <laughs> I feel like that also works as like a preventative thing. But like, what do you do when your child is already on their rebellious streak?
0: Yeah, because you know? she's she's already in it. Anything that you do to try to pull her back, she's gonna rebel harder. Like yeah. that is the situation that's at hand. So the best thing that you can do is continue to be an active participant, like pay attention to what they're doing, uh, but you can't helicopter and you can't nag because, again, that's just going to push them further and further away. The best thing that you can possibly do is recognize that they are going to crash. It's It's not if, it's when they are going to crash. And to be able to provide the softest, most understanding and empathetic landing that they can possibly have. Because a lot of times, the reason that these rebellious streaks or these, like, you know, wild phases, whatever you want to call them, go on for so long is because they don't feel like there is a safety net to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they keep going further. And then when they do eventually crash, because again, it's when not if it's way fucking worse because they've already gone so high up. Mm-hmm. But if there is even like a nagging thought in the back of their head of like, mom will always love you no matter what I'm here for you, no matter what, no matter how bad things get, I will always be there for you. I will always be in your corner. There is a little thought in the back of the head that will be a reminder so that when they know they're done and they want to give up and they want to, like, stop, that they that she'll be there for you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Mel starts to do towards the end of this movie.
1: Oh, yes. Well, who's going to be more empathetic towards this whole situation than someone who's an addict? Exactly. Theoretically, the, the, you, you would understand this. Exactly. So...
0: Which is why I love the way that this ends so much because... All, all Tracy wants to do is run. She's like, I got to get out of this because we see, we also see that with Evie when Evie finds out she's not being adopted the first thing, she runs. Mm-hmm. She leaves the room. She goes outside. She hides outside. She doesn't want to be anywhere near anybody. That's what Tracy's doing and Mel holds her and like physically holds her and is like, nope, I am embracing you. You need to relax. I am holding you. I need you to physically feel that I am here, that mm-hmm. you do not have to run, that I am here. And that's why when they do, you know, finally go in bed, she falls asleep in her arms, mm-hmm. she got that cushion, she got that softness that she needed to crash on. That is the best possible advice that I can give anybody whose kid is spiraling out like this because like at this age it's unpredictable, mm-hmm. like hormones are going fucking crazy. you know you have a lot of times you truly don't understand the complexities of what's going on in their head because. Will Smith was right. Parents just don't understand. You just don't. Like there are like the, the teen experiences have so many things that overlap and feel universal, but there is no such thing as a universal. Of the I was your age once doesn't fucking work. Well, it just y- doesn't.
1: You were someone's age in a different time. Exactly. In a different place. And that's wildly fucking different. Exactly. Different um, place,
0: different circumstances, different, you know, access to technology, different culture. All of these little itty bitty things make a huge difference. Yeah. And uh, you just – you have to be able to let your kids know that you will be there for them. You have to let them know that it's unconditional because the second they have even a whiff of, like, my mom will kill me, which we do see a little bit of that when, like, you know, she's smoking in the bedroom. She's like, you put that out. My mom will kill me. Well, like, that fear will keep kids spiraling.
1: Yeah. Mel goes through multiple solutions. Like, she tries to fucking, like, flip out. She tears up the the duct tape down floor. She has her breakdown. She, like – screams that are, there's a big screaming fight like mm-hmm. there's a physical like fucking fight um amongst people in the living room on a wicked Dutch angle and up until this point I've kind of been like well I can't really relate to this movie in the way that you can like you're like oh no I, I lived this for a little bit like
0: yeah and also important to note like I lived this in a very different way because I did have a support system correct. which is why it did not last as long as it probably could have
1: and here's the thing is like Describing this movie, as, uh, I've, I've described this movie as feeling very voyeuristic, and it is. The part of where I can relate to this is voyeuristic because I grew up in a family of addicts, specifically alcoholics. Yeah. And my brother would spiral and didn't have a support system to land on because inevitably when he would fuck up and get another DUI or get busted breaking in somewhere or do some shit like that, it wasn't like my parents catching him. It was, look at you. What the fuck is wrong with you? look mm-hmm. you're f- such a fucking waste how are we can't keep doing this look at just it was just like you're a problem look what you've done i have to deal with this and just piling on all this shit and it made him worse
0: yeah it made him it,
1: worse forever and now he's dead
0: yeah it becomes a it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like if you tell a kid that they are a bad kid they will lean into that because you've told them oh this is this is who i am you've you've named them already as bad.
1: like. Well, it's different when they claim themselves were like, these, these would be girls who would describe themselves as like bad girls, as like a code of honor in the way that people are like, I'm a bitch. Right. Like, they would do that, but if someone calls you a bad girl... That, like, yeah, if, that's
0: totally that's different. That's different. That's
1: totally if different. If someone calls you a bitch, that's different than claiming bitch. I
0: had, I had a kid, uh, when of my seventh grader, so around this same age, and honestly, he was held back a year, so he might have been 14. Um, but he was he had a reputation in the school from all of the teachers that he was a bad kid, that he was a problem. Like that was the word they used a lot was problem. Mm-hmm. And he would come into my class and it was very clear that he was leaning into that of like, Oh, I'm the bad kid. I'm the problem kid. And like, it had no effect on me because one, it, like I was a newer teacher. So like, I don't fucking know your reputation. I don't know you. I just know how you are in my class. And so he would like while out all the time. And I would just be like, all right, you deal with something today? Do you want to work through it together? Or do you want to wait after class? Like, what plan do you want? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, clearly something's up. And like the way that you're acting tells me that you need someone to hear you. I'm here to hear you. What do you have? And he's like, huh? And just kind of sit there. And like, this would go on for months until one day, finally, he like interrupts my lunch hour and is like. All right, so here's what's going on, and he like tells me all this stuff, and he's like, and this is what I got going on, and then I got to come to school, and I have to do this, and then I have teachers telling me that I'm an asshole, and I'm a problem, and I'm whatever, and like they don't know my life, and I was like, yeah, they don't know your life. Mm -hmm. I was like, they don't know your life at all. So why the fuck are you listening to them when they call you a problem if they don't know your life, and you know they don't know your life, and like it was like this big aha moment where he was like, oh, you're right, they don't know shit about me, so anything they say about me, I don't have to listen to because they don't know what I'm dealing with, and I was Mm -hmm. like. yeah man, like just live your life. Who fucking cares what they think about you? You clearly don't. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't care." Which in my head I'm like, "Yeah, you do. This oh, is why yeah. you're acting this way." You, you care do immensely,
1: care. especially when You you're care this
0: age. way more, and yeah. that's why you're acting this way. But like we would have these conversations like once a week for like an, another month. This kid after it comes home comes back after spring break, he's fucking reading, he's doing like reading. hours in the library. He joined like after school clubs. Like he like his everything changed for him because he had one fucking adult listen to him and tell him that he was not a problem he had one fucking adult give him a soft landing like it it cannot be overstated how important it is in children's development to have one fucking adult pay attention to them and meet them where they are and treat them like humans and that's the unfortunate Thing in 13 is that none of them are getting that mm-hmm. and it's not because Mel is a bad mom it's because life has made it very difficult for her to be able to provide that to her own daughter she doesn't have
1: the time or the energy
0: Like 13 she's is, trying 13 is such a reflection of like systemic failures and like how like Fran Drescher mentioned this during the SAG strikes which by the way uh, SAG and WGA are on strike fucking support them they deserve everything fuck a billionaire Lies. Don't fuck a billionaire. They do not deserve any of the good feelings that come with sex.
1: I mean, I, I really like Ron Perlman's speech where he was basically vaguely being he's like, like I'll I, might, kill I you. might burn your house down. <laughs> Who can say? See,
0: if, if Ron Perlman was mad at me, I would just
1: disappear. Man, if Hellboy <laughs> says he's going to kick your ass, be scared.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like Fran Dredger, in her speech, she was like, the amount of people in this world that if they have one $500 like, emergency, like, ruins their entire life. Like, we are looking at the the results of that. That's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so many things that could be prevented if they just were not in survival mode. But everyone in this movie is in fucking survival mode. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you're in survival mode, you do things that you normally wouldn't do. Like, yep. this movie is so brilliant and so complicated and so hard. And it's- I love it and I hate it at the same time because... I have to talk about this in goddamn therapy this week.
1: You know what? Hard same. Um, <laughs> now, these are two girls who are very clearly just trying to survive, but they're trying to live lavish lives at the same time, mm-hmm. and you can't do those at the same time.
0: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You, you really can't. Especially
1: if it's, like, faux lavished living. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, uh, I think that takes us out on 13. We've talked, like, about as long as this movie is. So, Harmony. The time has come. 13 is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes and no, a maybe? Or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their
1: own? I don't even know what to answer with this one. This is a very good movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send it on its own, though, because I don't know if I ever need to rewatch this movie.
0: Yeah. I think I might be good as well. Like, yeah. Maybe I'll I'll watch this again in another 20 years. But I feel like I'm going to be processing this movie for a very very long time mm-hmm. and I'm going to be real because because of when this is coming out, I feel okay to say this. We watched this the same day that I got to see Barbie, which I I don't think any movie is going to top for me this year. There's also some like existential stuff in that movie that is like shocking um, at how deep and poetic and beautiful it is. Um, So the day we watched both of those movies, I just kind of became a potato by the end of the day of just existential feelings and processing. You and just got
1: whiplashed into a ba- black hole.
0: It's just both movies discuss the horrors of womanhood in very different ways. And I was just like, I feel like my skin was ripped off and everyone's poking me. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I feel so raw and vulnerable right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm okay. I, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I
1: don't, I don't, maybe in 20 years I'll revisit this, but God, this movie just reminds me of a lot of people I've known. hmm And um, you know what? Friends come and go, and... Sometimes it's good to not keep certain friends in your lives. Mm-hmm. Like don't e- don't even be Facebook friends with them. Even if I I don't even use Facebook anymore, but I'll get friend requests occasionally from people that I haven't talked to in like eight years, and I go no. <laughs> this is establishing boundaries. I don't need the memory of you. <laughs>
0: I don't I don't feel like reopening those wounds. Yeah, I'm letting them heal. We don't need to do that. <laughs> exactly. So
1: um, I'm gonna send this on its own. Mm-hmm. I hope this episode is everything that all of the requests have asked for because. So many people have asked for this movie for the entirety of the podcast. Yeah, sorry, this was a bummer of an episode. But they knew you
0: recommended thirteen. If you
1: if you know what this movie is, you knew what episode you were gonna get.
0: Yeah, I I do do feel like there's probably at least like a couple people who were like, because it's so campy and like crazy, because like who would act like this? A lot of
1: people. A lot of people. So many. So many people.
0: Oh goodness! Well, <laughs> now to the positive plug part of the show. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky Threads at BJ Calangelo.
1: and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, or underscore Trap underscore Tour and Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. Man, Twitter is just continuing to become inhabitable, and Blue Sky is sure dropping the ball right now. So. I know, God. Fucking who knows what I'm doing? I might just disappear off the internet and pop up occasionally to. Do something on my Instagram stories. As your
0: podcast co host, I need you to not disappear off the internet. I need you for cross promotion. Thank you very much. Uh,
1: <laughs> I didn't even do a good job of sharing the to do list this week.
0: <laughs> and thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song.
1: By, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have seen them live that yeah, day. Yeah,
0: we'll be seeing them that night. Yeah, that'll be neat. What band are, are you recommending for 13? I'm skewed. <laughs>
1: So, um, one thing that I really love about this soundtrack is that uh, this is an extremely dark, edgy film, and it has Liz Fair on it. And this is the year that everyone accused Liz Fair of selling out, mm-hmm. which is just hilarious to me, honestly. Um, I think the self titled Liz Fair album is fine. This has nothing to do with that, really. It's just an anecdote. Okay. But <laughs> the person I'm shouting out this week is Just Fern. Um, so, Just Fern is somebody that I discovered probably five, six years ago. Um, they were doing like indie rock at the time. And over that period, there's been a lot of ebbs and flows and styles, like a little bit of like electronic pop, a little bit of like kind of bedroom funk R&B kind of stuff, more of a dibble dabble into hyper pop. And along the way, all of these albums have converged into one big, complex sound. Um, I don't really know who the best comparison would be to, to their music, but like maybe something like Shamir, if you're keeping up with like really good gay artists, like Shamir's got like different eras that might be a good uh, comparison for like an elevator pitch Uh, I will always have a lot of love for Phrenology from 2018 as an album Um, I super duper love that album but uh, I also quite like uh, The Hungry Heart and the newest album is Space 2 and Space 2 is also a bummer which is how we ended up here
0: (laughs) that's just Fern give them a listen
1: and Deep, deep introspective lyrics all day baby
0: I'm going to go meditate, even though I can't because I have aphantasia, which means I'm just going to lay on the couch and think about my thoughts.
1: I'm going to go shower because we're sitting in a room with no air on a 96 degree day.
0: Yeah, it's very hot in here. We'll do that. (laughs) All righty. Thanks, as always, for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Okay,
1: bye. Bye.
2: Loser, stop it, please. No bra, no panties. No bra, no panties. Stop it. No bra, no panties.
1: This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.